Hey ladies, and welcome to the Water with Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host, and I am so glad you are here listening today. This is a podcast by a 20-something for 20-somethings in hopes that we can be encouraged, inspired, and challenged in this crazy time of life. So grab something refreshing and let's get going. Hey, hey, hey. Today we are talking with Dr. and Pastor Derwin Gray about biblical happiness. From Brigham Young University to the NFL to now pastoring a church, Derwin Gray shares his story of salvation and how he landed in the Beatitudes to write his book on how Jesus transforms happiness. It was such a pleasure talking with Derwin, and I hope you enjoy what he has to say. I do want to say before we get started that my heart is so burdened for our world and just the ways that brokenness and sin is manifesting itself in so many different ways. And Derwin and I had this conversation before a lot of the issues with uh, just recon- racial reconciliation and um, just injustice for people who live in our world. And I pray and hope that uh, you are finding ways to rally for our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, no matter their skin color. And I think that this conversation is so timely, um, and I am just excited for you to get to hear it. Please let me know how I can be praying for you in this. Um, so I hope you enjoy our conversation. Along with my wife from a church called Transformation Church in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. We are a 10-year-old church. My wife and I both came to faith in our mid-20s. Neither one of us grew up churched. And so when we did come to Christ and God called us into vocational ministry, we wanted to plant a church that was a Christ-centered, Jesus-loving, mm-hmm. grace-preaching, multi-ethnic church that was concerned about justice and reaching people. Mm. Um, we have a, a daughter that's 23 and a son that is 19. And uh, we've been together for 30 years. We met mm. second semester, my freshman year, which was 1989. And we've been together ever since. And wow. in, on May 23rd, it'll be our 28th year of marriage. So that is awesome. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, my wife is my hero. She's a great friend. She's a great mother. She's a great ministry leader. And so I'm just thankful for her. And so um, basically, since COVID, it, it's it's really been interesting. Mm-hmm. From a ministry perspective, our our church is flourishing. Uh, we were we were prepared to go online. Um, justice has always been a big part of what we've done, and so. Our, our, our mobile food pantry feeds about 300 families per week, and we're mm. doing healthcare heroes where we do a parade for uh, healthcare heroes at hospitals and feed them mm. Chick-fil-A. So from that perspective, you know, we've always been involved from the community, and that's been great. One of the surprising things is our online viewership has just grown yeah. exponentially. Yeah, like for Easter we had 117,000 people. Oh my goodness. Watch the message. <laughs> and so we're averaging like 40,000 per week. It's crazy. So we're seeing incredible growth. We're seeing people being hungry to hear Jesus afresh. Mm. Um but also it's interesting in that it's easy to overwork now and so 
having a discipline of resting our souls and resting our minds is really important. And, you know, it's like every day just melds into another one. And I'm going, it's, wow, it's already May something. Good. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of what's happening. And, you know, and I feel like I've never prayed as hard in my life because Mm -hmm. you're, you're just hearing about so much hurt, so much pain, so much brokenness. And, you know, prayer is the most effective thing that we can do. Right. Oh, I so agree. And it is so interesting to hear from you and just so many other pastors about how it seems like their listening has totally increased, like you said, since being online. And, you know, it's it's so interesting to see that. And I wonder how that will carry over when we do go back. And um, as far as like, you know, people that maybe were listening and hadn't been attending church, like, will they come back? Or people who had been attending church and are like, mm, well, it was kind of nice being on my couch, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, what do you think yeah. it'll look like coming back? Like, what are your hopes for that? Well, my, my, my thing is we've always taught that a transformation church, church is not a building, it's a people. Right. And so I actually believe that attendance will increase but I also believe that online attendance will continue to be a very integral part of our ministry because even before COVID, we found that people who had church hurt or people who were unbelievers were watching online for months mm. before they ever came in person. And so we we will have a strategy going forward that we will have a online aspect of Transformation Church globally. Um, because the results have just been fascinating. Yeah. And and so even like our Zoom groups have exploded in growth. And so I don't think it's a either or. I think it's going to be a both and. Yeah. And, 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 you know, one of the things that I'm sensing is that, particularly for Christians, is we've kind of built our lives on sand. And then this big wave called COVID came and knocked the sandcastle down and underneath the foundation were idols. Mm. And, and those idols have left us um, wanting. Yeah. And so we're, I I think people are hungering for Jesus afresh. And I think that's why you've got people listening because people are scared. They're like, man, is this the end of the world? Or (laughs) I put so much hope in, uh, my job, my future, my finances, my health, right. and it's all wiped away. And Jesus is saying, hey, um, build your life on a firm foundation hmm. so that when the wind and the rains and the storms come, you won't fall down. So I think this is a great opportunity for the church. Yes, that is so true. And it's for for believers and for unbelievers alike, I think what you said is true of just being forced to slow down and stop has made us kind of realize the things in our lives that we put a lot of time and attention towards. Um, And even now, as we sit at home, you know, what are the things that we're turning to um, without all of the extra uh, in our lives? And so it has been a really cool opportunity to kind of reevaluate and, and for Christians to see, um, you know, kind of those idols, like you said, that are coming up. So it's super interesting yeah. to see. And, um, you know, it is, I am, I am very hopeful. 
Yeah, absolutely. Just to see kind of what God does with this. I mean, obviously he is at work in this. Um, he's doing something big here that we cannot see, right? Absolutely. And I think it's important for us to be so dialed into his grace um, that we can see where he's moving and see where he's working and join him. Mm, absolutely. It's so cool to see what he's doing in your church and, and in your own family's life. And so why don't you tell us a little bit, German, about kind of your background? You know, my podcast is more specifically for ladies in their 20s. And so I do have a lot of women that come on. So it's kind of funny. But you're probably, I think you're probably number five or number six of the male species to come on. So awesome. I love having the guys on. I, I, I love being on. So I have a daughter that's 23. So she's right in your demographic yeah, and she's perfect. absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas on the West side, grew up poor. My mom was 16 when she was pregnant with me. Hmm. My dad was 18. Uh, both of them were children when I were born, when I was born, they struggled with various issues. And so my grandparents primarily raised me. Hmm. At about age 13, I recognized that football was more than a game for me, that football was actually a vehicle to allow me to leave my environment and to get an education and make something of myself. Yeah. And so I worked really, really hard, got a football scholarship to Brigham Young University. Mm-hmm. And so here I am, uh, African-American kid from the hood at a 99% all white Mormon school. (laughs) And it was a culture shock, but it was actually really good because I learned how to get along with people who were different. I learned how to Mm -hmm. listen. I learned how to observe culture. I learned how to connect with people who were not the same as me. And of course I met my wife second semester, my freshman year, we've been together ever since. And so I had a really good college career and got drafted to the NFL Mm -hmm. and neither my wife nor I were Christians. And so, you know, we, we thought that, okay, we're really doing something like, man, this is the money, the fame, the career. I mean, it's going great. And my wife was very accomplished herself. She was a track athlete. She threw the javelin. She was valedictorian in high school, valedictorian in college. She's incredible. But yet, by my third year in the NFL, it was like, there's got to be more. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to love her the way she deserved to be loved, and primarily because I didn't know how to love myself. I lived with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness towards my father. Mm. Um, I thought that making lots of money and sending it home to Texas would help my family and their problems. And it actually made it worse. It was never enough. Mm. Um, I lived with fear of who would I be when my NFL career was over because I was never, um, that much like I liked school and I did what I needed to do. Uh, but I was also a compulsive stutterer. So I thought, man, what is a stutterer going to do after he's done playing in the NFL? Who would I be? Mm. And so all of those things caused this existential crisis. And I had a teammate who in 1993, my rookie year, shared Christ with me, but he had a unique way of sharing Christ. Mm. 
after he would take a shower, he would dry off and wrap a towel around his waist. And then he would ask my teammates, do you know Jesus? And once again, like I am unchurched. I have no clue who Jesus is. And I'm like, what's up with the half naked black man walking around talking about, <laughs> do you know Jesus? And the veterans <laughs> on the team said, don't pay no attention to him. That's the naked preacher. But one of the things that I noticed about the naked preacher was whenever somebody on the team had a problem or they needed advice, they were always talking to him. Mm. And so over a five-year process of watching the way he loved his wife, watching the way he served the community, listening to the consistency of his message, on August 2nd, 1997, at Anderson College in Anderson, Indiana, it was the fifth year in the NFL, the training camp. And after lunchtime, I walked back to my dorm and I picked up the phone. I called my wife and I said, I want to be more committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. Mm. And at that moment, like I literally felt a bodily change. I felt his love Mm -hmm. and I cried for like three days. I I just (laughs) would find myself weeping and crying at the thought that somebody loved me enough who knew my deepest, darkest secrets, who knew areas of hurt and shame and brokenness, and they were not repelled. They were actually drawn towards me. And on the cross, it was the ultimate love statement that you matter, that you're valuable. I know your name. I forgive you. You're mine. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with Jesus. And I love him more and more each and every day. Oh, that is so cool. I love hearing everyone's stories of just the random people or it's different circumstances that uh, brought them to the Lord. And so it is so cool to hear that um, and how God used football and you had no idea uh, the ways that he would use it uh, to bring uh, you had to him. Huh? Had no idea. I was not thinking about Jesus. I wasn't worried about Jesus, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad that he was thinking about me. Yeah, and here you are now, a pastor of a church. And how long have you been a pastor now? Oh, gosh, 12 years. I've been a pastor and 10 years I've been the lead pastor of Transformation Church. Like, who would have ever thought that a compulsive stutterer would be a pastor of a multiple thousand member church? It's crazy. Right. And so how? what's the story behind that as well? Yeah, so my wife and I, uh, when I retired from the NFL, uh, we were like, well, what should we do? And I was like, I don't know. And uh, I got invited to speak at a youth event in South Carolina. And I argued with God about, oh, Lord, send somebody that can at least talk. I'll pay for him to go, but I don't want to go. And I, 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 just, I was crying in the shower. And I just sensed God saying, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk. Hmm. And so I went, my wife, and at that time, our daughter was really small, and I cried the whole time and shared my testimony and just said, hey, is there any of you here that what what happened to me to happen to you? And a bunch of kids came to Christ, and people started calling me, and my wife is incredible at organization and leadership, and so we started a nonprofit ministry, and I would travel and speak around the country, but then in about 2004... We both thought to ourselves, 
before we were Christians, we would go to the nightclub and it was black people there, Asian people there, Latino people there, you know, white people. Mm -hmm. It was very diverse. But when we became Christians, it was like we were thrusted back into 1965, where it was like the white church or black mm-hmm. church. And we were like, well, why is the club diverse, but Jesus's club not diverse? Mm-hmm. And why is racism so taboo in the church? And so as we read the Bible more, we saw that the early Christian churches in the Roman world had Jewish people and they had non-Jewish people. Mm-hmm. They were ethnically diverse that Jesus not only forgives our sins, but he brings together a family with different colored skins. And his family is one of oneness and equality and mutual love, care and concern. And we didn't see that in the church. And so we thought, man, let's plan a New Testament church where the name of Jesus is lifted up. His gospel of grace is preached and we learn how to love each other across ethnic class and gender lines that men and women are equal that the rich the poor the middle class are equal Mm -hmm. that regardless of your ethnicity we're all clothed in the righteousness of christ therefore we as the church could become a tutor to teach the world that this is what love looks like that's right that is so cool i love hearing that and you know how did uh your stuttering kind of change through that Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So people say, well, Derwin, how did you stop stuttering? And I said, well, when I trusted Jesus for the first time in my life, I recognized that I was loved and that I mattered. And because I was loved and that I I mattered, it gave me confidence to really slow down in my mind when I talk. So when I talk, Mm -hmm. I say what I'm going to say in my mind, and then I say it out of my mouth. Now, some people go, well, is that all you need to do? And I say, no, what made that possible was the trauma and the PTSD of my past and low self-worth had been absorbed by the blood of Jesus. And because I I saw Mm -hmm. myself differently, it enabled me to communicate. Yeah. A lot of my stuttering was rooted in trauma and pain and PTSD. Mm. And I I hear that a lot too, that, you know, some people are kind of born with it and it develops early on. And then uh, with some people, it's more of something that comes out of traumatic situations. And so it's interesting to hear um, how it can affect different people. And and now for you that you can say, you know, you're a pastor of a church and people would be like, wait, what? And (laughs) trust me, my my friends from college, you know, they're like, you do what now? are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm like, man, God is amazing, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) And that's just another part of your testimony that is just so cool to be able to share and see what God has done. So uh, another cool thing that you are up to is you have a new book out, right? The Good Life. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So the new book, it'll be out June 2nd. It's called The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding True happiness. And so back in about Mm -hmm. 2014, through pastoral care and counseling, I was running into people at a part of our church, outside of our church, people who were non-Christians, young, old, black, white men, women. I was running into people who were just looking for happiness, but not happy. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was Christians and non-Christians both had the same definition of happiness. They thought happiness is things are working out right, 
Um, I meet the guy, I meet the girl, I get the job. In other words, it's like life is working for me. So therefore I'm happy. It's based Mm -hmm. on externals. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought, man, that's like chasing a shadow. The closer you get, the further away you are. You're never going to get that because all those external things are inconsistent and it's very self-centered and self-centeredness is never going to bring us happiness. And so I, I, I thought, what does Jesus say about this? And so this led me to Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. That's known as the Beatitudes when Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. And he describes eight characteristics of a happy person. And he uses this word. He, he says he, he starts with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, blessed and describe seven different characteristics after that. But the key to that is this, the word blessed in the Greek language is makaros. And literally makaros means happy. And so happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Happy are those who are humble for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And so Jesus, in essence, is saying happiness is not about things perpetually good happening to you. Happiness is about God making us good. Mm. Happiness is about becoming who we were meant to be. So think about this for, for all the ladies that are listening. Who would not want to be married if you sense a calling to marriage? Would not want to be married to a man that's humble, Hmm. that is a peacemaker, um, that is merciful, um, that is able to mourn and to lament, one who's poor in spirit, which means dependent upon God. And then who wouldn't want to become that type of a person? And so happiness is about becoming the type of person that is fit for God's kingdom. Hmm. And that is so true. That's a good way to look at, you know, either looking in for relationships, but just also introspectively to see how do I line up with what uh, Christ says about uh, those that are happy, those that are blessed. And there's so much out there in the world right now that, you know, is claiming, here's how you can be more happy. Here's how you can earn your happiness. You are your own hero kind of thing. And so how do you, how do you feel like your book, um, and what you are putting out there is kind of different than what the world is saying? Yeah. So I think the first thing is I think that people, um, and, and let me put my cards on the table is I wrote my book very female centric and here's why women make the world go around. I don't (laughs) care what anybody says. That's 100% true. Women read books. Women get men to read books. And from a theological perspective, think about, about this. The first person that Jesus told that he was the Messiah was a Samaritan woman. The first person that testified and preached the gospel that Jesus is Lord and he rose from the dead was Mary a woman. Women make the world go around. And so I wrote very, I want women to connect with the book because women are readers and learners and they influence their men um, to read. And so 
The difference is, I think that people are going to hear Jesus afresh. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to see him afresh. And I think they're going to go, oh my gosh, I never knew that happiness was about becoming someone versus something always good happening to me. Mm-hmm. That happiness um, is more about the God of love making me more loving and kind and making me a person that reflects Jesus. And so the good life and happiness is about entering into God's beautiful story. And we're no, we're no longer dependent upon circumstances to bring us fleeting happiness, but instead we have the eternal God who is always shaping us and molding us and transforming us. And here's what's, and here's what's beautiful. And this is what I want people to get. The happier we are in Christ, the more holier we are for Christ and the more we can change the world in his name. Mm. We become better people. We become better sons and daughters and wives and husbands and friends. Uh, We become better for the world as we experience God's kind of happiness because God's kind of happiness is a happiness that transforms our lives. So what I like to say is happiness and holiness are two sides of the same coin. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it really speaks to uh, just where we're at right now, but also uh, just in general and something that we can continue to take into our lives. And so is there maybe one beatitude in particular that you uh, would feel led to kind of share over us 20 somethings uh, to encourage Mm -hmm. us in? Yes. The first thing is I'm very hopeful for your generation. As a matter of fact, I'm pouring a lot of my energy into you guys. And here's Mm -hmm. why. Because you have grown up in a world of diversity. You've grown up in a world where you've kind of seen things fall apart and you're actually looking for more and you want to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And so one of the Beatitudes that I'm so encouraged about that I think 20-somethings will connect and resonate with is this one. Happy are the peacemakers for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Um, Jesus in one of the Beatitudes talks about peacemakers being happy and man, can't we use peacemakers in this world? Absolutely. Man, when I look at the political fights, not with non-Christians, but with Christians, um, and I see how they, how we talk to each other on social media, um, I just see so much division and brokenness. So being a peacemaker starts vertically that God himself in Jesus comes to make peace for us mm-hmm. that on the cross Jesus and through his blood forgives us but also we move from enemy to friend from foe to family so we're reconciled with God vertically that's the vertical beam of the cross mm-hmm. the horizontal beam of the cross is then we move towards reconciliation across ethnic lines And so the racial tensions in America are very high and it's got to be us, the church, to teach the world what it looks like to love across ethnic lines. And Mm -hmm. so the chapter on being a peacemaker, I lay out 
here are specific steps that we can take to make relationships with people of different ethnic groups Mm -hmm. because we are the body of Christ. Jesus not just forgives our sins. He makes us a family of different colored skins Mm -hmm. and it's a beautiful family. And so I'm really hopeful that that chapter will resonate with uh, 20-somethings because I believe that the future is now Mm. and you are now the present future. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that needs to be talked about more and more um, in the right context, too. That That's how God had it has it designed. Like, when we are in heaven one day, it will be completely diverse. And so... Um, that's that's bringing the kingdom here now. Uh, so thank you for that encouragement. And I would love to jump into my last couple of questions that I ask uh, every guest that comes on the show. So, you know, of course, they might be a little bit girly, but we'll see. That's, that's all right. <laughs> actually, <But laughs> actually uh, like in, in my marriage, my wife is the one who likes like combat movies. I like musicals. I like to talk about my emotions. <laughs> and so we kind of have a different, not the stereotype, but um, yeah, she tends to be uh, a little bit more of the, you want to talk about your emotions? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> So the first one is, what is one thing that you wish you knew as a 20-something? Oh, gosh. I wish I knew that it's better to listen and learn and mature before trying to take on the world. Hmm. That's so true. We try to get going too quickly um, or just think that, we're supposed to fill some fulfill some purpose right off the bat. So that is yeah. a really good point. Yeah. What are you reading or listening to, watching, any of those things right now? Yeah, I am reading everything that I can by N.T. Wright. Okay. Um, Professor Wright is awesome. And uh, the show that I'm really into right now is called The Last Kingdom. Um, it's about like Vikings and early Saxons. There are some scenes you got to fast forward through, but it's really, really good. Oh, cool. All right. I love it. And then lastly, what is refreshing you? So anything that's just kind of giving you life? Fishing. Um, I, I take a Sabbath every Friday. That's my time to fish, to do things that bring me delight. I read. Um, yeah. That's what I do. So uh, what I would say to your listening audience, please make sure that you have a day to Sabbath. And to Sabbath is not to be miserable. It's to Mm -hmm. do things that give you life and energy and refreshment. Mm -hmm. Not sitting on the couch watching Netflix all day. That's not a Sabbath, huh? Well, like if that (laughs) brings a person energy, go for it. I know for me, sitting on the couch watching movies all the time, that depletes me. I, I have to exercise. I got to do a little something, but don't get me wrong though. I, I like me some good Netflix shows. Yeah, very true. <laughs> it It is something, it's a balance, right? It's yeah. Balance. That's right. Yeah. Between the two. So yeah, I totally agree with you. And even for myself, making sure 
you know, right now I have a lot of time for Sabbath, but, you know, in my normal life, trying to carve out, you know, Saturday mornings or whatever it is to be able to take that time um, to yeah. hang out with Jesus and also just just to be uh, refreshed and renewed in that way. So yeah, and, super and, important. And if and if I could add one thing, too, is, is this is that mm-hmm. Sabbath is like the ultimate statement of resistance and rebellion against dark powers. Mm. Because what it's saying is this, I trust God to work. Mm. I don't have to do it all. Jesus is my enough. Jesus is my measuring up and I trust him. Like Sabbath in our culture is a statement of resistance and rebellion to say, no, God's got it. Mm. That is so good. I've never heard it in that way. And I totally agree because darkness is totally pushed back in that way because your purpose of doing it is uh, to kind of reconnect with the Lord and to stop and rest in the way that he did. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that is such a good point. So thank you for that. And thank Thank you you. just for coming on in general today. I just am so thankful for your story and how God has used you and is continuing to use you um, to share what he's been teaching you. So thank you so much for coming on and speaking over my listeners. Hey, well, thank you so much and continue the great work, but I am so hopeful for your generation and thankful for your generation. Hmm, Thank you. At least somebody's believing in us millennials. (laughs) There are a lot of us that are, trust me. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening in today. I pray the wisdom the Lord has revealed to Derwin speaks to you today and the way you perceive happiness might shift to align with biblical happiness. I'm so thankful for the work Derwin is doing, especially in light of current events and encouraging our generation specifically to seek racial reconciliation, shepherding a church that fosters diversity, and opening people's eyes to true happiness. So thanks again for listening. And I wanted to end with just two questions to challenge yourself with this week. One, what does happiness mean to you? And two, does your definition of happiness align with God's holiness and the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 1 through 12? So you can find those in my show notes if you want to reflect on those at a later time. But thank you for listening and stay fresh, my people.